Now, if you will open your Bibles to the book of John. John's gospel is the record that John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, gives us a record of the life and works of Jesus. And he has a purpose for that. Let me, I just show you that. I know what time it is, so you'll just keep going until I stop. Amen? Look in John. Look, look in John. This is not even in, in your notes, but John chapter 20 uh, and verse 30 and 31. John gives us his purpose for writing this book. It's very clear. So let's, I'll just give you this, and then we're going to look at the text for today. John 20 and 30 and 31. Many other signs, those miraculous miracles that Jesus performed in John, therefore also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. That is, we got a lot of other stuff I could have told you, but I picked these out. I have a purpose behind this. That's why you're reading what you read when you read my gospel, says John. I have done this, verse 31, but these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Isn't that an awesome purpose for writing a book? You want people to know God through his son, Jesus Christ, and you want them to have life that lasts forever. That's why he did it. So John is selective. He's picked things out, put them in this book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to bring us to the place where we will make the confession that Thomas is going to make in chapter 20 today. Now, as we begin, I, I love the Word of God. I've been doing this for 42 years, so I really love the Scriptures, and I, I usually use the Scriptures when I'm preaching. This is not a topical thing. This is the Scripture thing. But I want to show you something that you may not have known. John's Gospel has a, a bookend at the beginning and one at the end. And so if they'll put up on the screen, I want you to look in John chapter 1 and verse 39. This is the beginning of the gospel. John is uh, recording an event in the life of Jesus when he starts to call his disciples. And so when he says, <clears throat> you guys come with me, and one of them says, well, where are you going? And now watch what Jesus said. And he saith unto them, come and see. Now that's important for you to see those three words. This is the King James Version. Come and see. He begins his ministry with these men with the invitation to come check this out. Come and see. Uh, nothing, you know, you just come and see. You come check it out. And I like the way Jesus does that. He said, well, just come check me out, okay? You come and see. But when we get to our text for today, we're going to find that at the end of this book, there's the other bookend. And he's moved from come and check this out <clears throat> to come and eat. So what does he say there? Jesus saith unto them, come and dine. Chapter 21, he's on the sea of, shore of the Sea of Galilee. The disciples have fished all night. They obviously have caught nothing. And he looks at them and says, brothers, sons, kids, come and eat. Jesus is saying this to us. He's saying, come and see, that is, come check this out. But at the end of this book, he's moving from the come and see to now I'm going to send. You have come to see, you stuck with me, and now I'm going to send you. So as we look in our text today, if you look in John chapter 21 and in verse 14, this is the beginning of uh, what led me to this text, verse 41 said, uh, uh, John chapter 21, verse 14. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Remember, nothing is in our text by accident. John has a specific purpose for what he's doing. He has an outcome that he wants to get us to have. And he tells us in verse 14 that this is the third time. So that means that there were two previous to the one that he's talking about now. Now we know from our study of Scripture that Jesus had appeared to the disciples more than that. But John is saying, I'm not interested for my purposes, for what I want to see happen in the end of this book. 
I'm not interested in the appearance at the garden. I'm not interested in the other appearances. I have three times that Jesus appeared to the disciples, and that's what we want to focus on today. Amen? If you'll stick with me, I think you'll learn something today. I hope you will. I pray you will. I'm having to stay awake just so you can, folks. <laughs> at my age, listen, at my age, two services is tough, let me tell you, you know. I told someone after the first service, I said, I'm so tired, I may just go home. My notes are on the podium. Just come up and take over. So <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm not tired. We want to see three appearances of Jesus in the text, chapter 20 and 21, that John records for us. And we want to see what the purpose for those recordings were. Why did John pick these three? And what can we take away from them today? So here are the three appearances. The first two are in chapter 20. And the first one is the resurrected Jesus. We're going to see the topic of this appearance is the resurrected Jesus. And at the end of chapter 20, we're going to see the reaching Jesus. And I'll explain what that means in just a minute. The reaching Jesus. So we find the resurrected Jesus eight days later, the reaching Jesus. And now about a week or two after that, we come into chapter 21 and we find what I call the reclaiming Jesus or the restoring Jesus. So three instances where Jesus appeared to his disciples, they're different, but they have some things that are similar to all three of them. So I want to look at these today and hopefully we'll be able to draw some truth that will encourage us as we live for Jesus. So let's look first of all at the resurrected Jesus. This is in John chapter 20. And verse uh, 17, 18, uh, we'll go to verse 19. John chapter 20, verse 19. This is, the emphasis here is on the resurrected Jesus. Watch what he says. When therefore, it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were. That's interesting. They were shut. It means they were locked and had been locked. Why were they locked? There were fear. Those disciples <clears throat> had just witnessed on the Friday before their leader crucified by the Jews. And they were a little bit uptight about what if those Jews want to come get some of his disciples? So they locked the door for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his uh, side. The disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. What would you do if you were in a room, as we would say, scared to death, and all of a sudden, not a knock on the door, but an appearance. And there, almost like the old uh, Star Trek, where all of a sudden, beam me up, Scotty, and bring me down down, almost like that, all of a sudden in the room, there is manifest the living in the flesh, in person, Jesus, whom they had seen crucified and buried in a tomb three days before. And there he is. What does this say? John says, well, it uh, made us rejoice. I can imagine it would have made me do some other things, just to be honest with you. <laughs> You know what I mean, okay? I'm not going to go there, but I mean, if I'd have been there scared to death, and all of a sudden, right there in front of me, Jesus appears and he says, peace be to you, I would have rejoiced, okay? And they did. But he goes on. He says to them, peace be with you. And he says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. And if you return or retain the sins of any, they have been retained as well. Now this is the appearance of Jesus in the upper room to his disciples, his first appearance to them as a group. John records this because we need something for us out of this. This is an appearance. This is their encounter with the resurrected Jesus. 
This is what we would call a salvation experience. This is when they saw Jesus for who he was. They realized he had been buried and now he is raised again and they rejoiced that they see him. And in that encounter, they are given some things. So let's look at this really quickly. This first encounter is the encounter with the resurrection, resurrected Jesus. Let me say to you, as you will see in all three of these encounters, I'm going to say it three times. Jesus always comes to them. They were not out looking for Jesus. They were shut down, locked down, and they were afraid. And yet Jesus comes to them. So I don't care where you are today. I don't care what's going on in your life. I have good news for you. Jesus will come to where you are today. He came to them. Amen. But also when he came to them, he brought something that they needed. It says, peace be to you. He's bringing peace to them. And they needed that peace because they had just seen him crucified. They were afraid of the Jews and they needed peace. And <clears throat> what Jesus is doing for you and me is showing us that when he comes to us through the salvation experience, he will bring to us peace. You don't have to live in fear or anxiety anymore. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that God has not given to us a spirit of what? Fear. We don't live in fear. Yes, we're afraid sometimes. Yes, there are times when we are afraid. But folks, we don't have a spirit of fear. Why should we? We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Why could he say to these disciples, peace to you is what the word, literally in the Greek it means, it just is peace to you, peace, you. Why could he say that to them? I think he can say that because guys, I just came out of the tomb and I have conquered death, Hades and the grave. And if you have anything to be afraid of, you shouldn't be because I am better, bigger than that. So don't have any fear. So whatever you're facing today, you have peace, not fear. Amen? Another thing that he did, not only did he bring them purpose or bring them a peace, but he brought them a purpose. He said, now, the Father sent me, and we're glad he did. Amen? I want amen there. I'm glad the Father sent the Son, and I'm glad the Son said yes to the sending, aren't you? And I'm glad the Son was willing to fulfill his purpose, and his purpose was to die on the cross for me to be saved. I'm glad that happened. But I've got news for us today. God did not save you and me so we could sit soaking sour for an hour in this building and talk about how good God is and then don't worry about the people all around us who are going to hell. That's not our purpose. Our purpose is to come here on Sundays and get renewed and refreshed and encouraged so we can go out on purpose and bring people to Christ. That's why we're here. That's the purpose of putting this story here. Jesus said to them, I'm sending you. He didn't say, I'm going to do it later. He says, I'm sending you now. And then the last thing that he said is something that you and I need to hear. Yes, he promised peace, and they got it. Yes, he promised them, you'll have a purpose. They got it. But if you're like me, you're going to ask, well, now, how's this going to work? Because we're under the uh, scruples right now of the Romans and the Jews, and, and we, they may just kill us at any minute. And how are we going to go and be sent by you? And Jesus said, Whew. You know, that's all it takes for Jesus to send us. He didn't need to send us to a class, He didn't need to give us a book to study. All He needed to do was go, and when he did that, he breathed on them what? The Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is the power to fulfill the purpose that they had been given when Jesus said, go. So my question, have you had this experience? Have you encountered the resurrection, the resurrected Jesus? If you haven't, you can do that today. And one last thing, just to clear up any confusion now, Jesus in verse 20, uh, 23, Jesus is not saying 
that the preacher has the authority to forgive sins. And if you mistreat him, he's not going to forgive your sin, and therefore you're going to go to the bad place, okay? That's not what he's saying. Let me tell you what Jesus just told these disciples. He said, as you go, I'm sending you in the power of the Holy Spirit, and as you go, if people make the confession, Jesus es curios, Jesus is Lord. If people make the confession, I humble myself and I'm following after him, then you can say to them with confidence, your sins are forgiven. But if they refuse to do that, you have my authority, according to Jesus, to say to them, well, then your sins are retained. If you're not willing to confess him, if you're not willing to give your uh, heart to him, then I can tell you on the authority of what Jesus has said, your sins are still retained. You haven't, you're, you're still a sinner. That's all he's saying. He's not saying that I have this magical power, that I have this one, and if you come to me and you say, oh, preacher, I did so-and-so, would you forgive me? And I wave my magic wand, you're forgiven. Uh, <clears throat> if that were true, in some of the churches I've been a pastor of in the past, there'd been a lot of people who would have never gotten their sins forgiven because they get on my bad side and I'm just bad enough to say, well, you mess with me, I'm going to mess with you. And you think you're going to get forgiveness of your sin? That ain't happening. You're going to get stuck with it. Isn't that foolish? That's not what Jesus is telling us there. He's simply saying that you can say to people, trust me, sins are forgiven. Reject me, your sins are not forgiven. Doesn't that make sense now? Nod your head like this. I just need to know you're still out there. Let me know. Okay, now, the second, that, that's the first encounter that, that John wants us to know about. John is telling, to, telling us about a meeting with the resurrected Jesus. But now, as we move further in our story, we find in verse 24, uh, <clears throat> but Thomas, one of the 12, Thomas called Didymus, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. Now, that's just an encouragement. Let me just encourage you with this right here. Don't miss church. Do you know who Thomas missed when he was late for church that night? He missed the first time that Jesus met with his disciples. And I'm sure the disciples said, hey, Thomas, man, what's, man, what's the matter with you? You missed it. Well, were you oversleep? Uh, what, what was wrong? Kids having, you had problems? Why didn't you show up to church? Jesus was here. And Thomas said, no, he wasn't. Well, you, we saw him. And we saw, no, I'm not believing that. No way I'm going to believe that. And then at the end of the story, what does Thomas do? He believes. And he says, you are my God you are my Lord and my God. So just always be encouraged. Be in church, okay? Because you never know when Jesus may show up in church. And you don't want to miss that, do you? But now this is the second time that Jesus has met. Because Jesus comes and uh, he comes into the room. Again, if you flip over a mind, it says that uh, it, when eight days again in verse 30, when eight, uh, I'm sorry, verse 26, when eight days again his disciples were inside and Thomas was with them, Jesus came, and the doors having been locked or shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Okay, I heard you say the other night when you missed church and you talked to the disciples, and I knew what you were thinking. I knew what you were saying. You wanted to see, okay, here, there it is. Look. There are the marks. Look right here. It's here. There's the hole in my side. <clears throat> And Thomas simply said, my Lord and my God. Here's the purpose that John has for giving us this story. Now, Jesus had already met the disciples a week ago. I don't think this meeting has anything to do or as much to do with the disciples as it does with Thomas the one. And here's what I think John wants us to take away from this. If you missed it the first time, there's always hope. If you're sitting here today and you say, well, my wife's become a Christian, my kids are Christians, and, and I've been kind of on the fence, I've been thinking about this, and, and I'm not sure yet, and you think, well, maybe I've, I've lost my time. No, you haven't. 
You have not. As long as you've got breath, you can believe. As long as there's life in you, you can have his life in you. There's never a day when it's too late. And Thomas came and he said, my Lord and my God. That expression that Thomas just made, my Lord and my God, is the only time in the New Testament that that expression is used. No one in the New Testament called Jesus God. Never did until Thomas does right here. And John wants you to know that. John wants you to know what Thomas got when he got Jesus. Not only did he get the Lord, the teacher, and everything else, but he got God in his life. We meet Jesus as he reaches out to us to let us know there's always another chance. There's always another opportunity. I will come to you as long as you're living. I'm going to keep knocking. I'm going to keep coming to you. You're never past hope. You get that? If you're here today and you think, well, I've blown it. I'm never going to be able to do it. Well, let me tell you, you can do it today. You can do it today. Now, a couple of things quickly before we close out with Peter. What John is telling us about Thomas is this. John is saying, doubt is not, and please hear me when I say this, I'm not crazy, and don't send me, you know, say the, the old pastor down there is crazy. I'm not. <clears throat> doubt, listen carefully, doubt is not the end of the world. Okay, doubt is not, as a matter of fact, doubt is not always a bad thing. If someone stands up today and says, Jesus was not resurrected, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to doubt that. It's not that doubt is bad. It's what doubt, it's what happens in your doubt. Thomas said something. He said, I've got to see this, this, and this. But he said at the beginning of that, I will not believe unless I see that. You see, Thomas had doubt, but he also had a willingness to believe. Do you, do you see what I'm saying there? I, I knew a, a godly man who's passed away now, but he told me on many occasions, he said, Donnie, I struggle with doubt. And he said, but there's sometimes that when I'm doubting God, I discover God in ways I've never seen God before. Why? Because his doubt, he had an openness and a willingness to believe. And some of you may have started your Christian experience by saying, you know, I don't know if I can believe all that stuff that they talk about Jesus. And I have some doubts about some of that, but I am open and willing to believe it. And God always comes through to show you. Amen? Amen. So Thomas, we call him the doubter, but no one else had the insight to understand that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. And I mean, Lord and God. So... Thomas, and there's one other thing about Thomas. Thomas helps us to see that it's never too late. It's never too late. And the last thing, and I want to share this because <clears throat> when I first started ministering, I, I was pastor of a military base, uh, of a church near a military base. So I had a lot of military people coming through the church. A lot of people in the church were military. And I would talk to them about their experience with Christ. And I would say something like, well, tell me about your relationship with Christ. And they would say, oh, uh, I went to church with my grandmother back up in Indiana. And, and, and you know, I, that's, that's where my, my home church is up in Indiana because my grandmother took me to church every week when I lived up there. And I didn't want to be ugly to them, but I would say something like this. Your faith is so personal that it has to be personal. You can't bank your eternity on your grandmother's faith. You can't sit here this morning and say, well, my parents are believers, therefore I must be a believer. Well, you could be a believer, but you must, you could not be. See, what Thomas is saying to me is, hey guys, I heard you tell us that Jesus came last week when you were here. I, I heard all week long, I've been hearing you talk about Jesus was here. He was alive. He was alive. But I'm not going to believe it. This is too serious for me to take your word alone. 
it's got to become real to me. I have to own it myself. So if you're here today and you are a Christian because grandmother took you to church, then I could tell you that I'm an automobile because I was in a garage this morning. <laughs> it don't work that way. I'm sorry, but it doesn't work that way. If Thomas teaches us anything, he teaches us that you have to own it. I have to make this personal myself. Has that happened to you? John is, is giving us three meetings that Jesus had with his disciples. The first one is a salvation experience when they receive everything that they need. But then Thomas comes along and Jesus says, well, Thomas, you weren't there and it's never too late. I'm going to give you the opportunity and Thomas took it because your eternity is too precious for you to pin it to the coattail of your grandmother or your parents. You have to own it yourself. And I need a good amen right there. I have to own this for myself. And one of the things that Thomas does, this story actually does a good thing for you and me. Look down in verse uh, 29. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. <clears throat> That's me. I got my hand up right now because I'd be one of those who believed without seeing. I've never seen Jesus' hand, but I have felt him lifting me out of the miry clay. I've never looked into his side, but I have felt him drawing me unto himself. Oh, I didn't see him physically, nor did you, unless you're really older than you look. But we put our faith in him whom we have not seen. And Jesus said, you're blessed. You're blessed. So thank God for being blessed with the faith to believe that which you did not see. Now, those are the first two. The encounter with the resurrected Jesus and then the encounter with the one who's coming to give you the opportunity to do what you missed the first time. Now, we move to the last one. It picks up in chapter 21. And this is the reason chapter 21 is here. Obviously, John had already closed out his book. That's why we read in chapter 20, the ending of there. But later, after John had written that, I think John just thought, you know, but there's one thing we need to talk about. There's still one issue that's floating around out there, and I really need to just... Give some insight on this issue. And here's the issue. I'm, this is about you and me. Here's the issue. What do you do with a failure? We know what Jesus did with the disciples in the upper room that first, that first Easter. He came and on them. We know what Jesus did to the one that we say was the doubter who was there the next week. And he said, oh, Lord, you're my Lord and my God. We know what he did to him. He was born again. But what do you do with a sucker like Peter? What do you do with him? He blew it bad. What did Peter do? What's the word we use? We talk about doubting Thomas, but we got a D word for Peter too. Denying, and that's bad. It's really, really bad. As a matter of fact, that event was so bad in the mind of Peter. Hear what I'm saying now. That event was so bad in the mind of Peter that it disqualified him from fulfilling his destiny. Oh, yes, it did. In Peter's mind, it did. You say, well, Donnie, how do you know that? I know that because he's fishing. My stars, what do you think? He just saw the resurrected Jesus two weeks before, and now he's on a boat out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee fishing. What do you do with a failure? Anybody in here ever failed? Come on now, be honest. You, you can lie if you want to. You failed. You know you have. 
Some of your failings are more private than others. See, I can check it in the courthouse and find out about the divorces. That's a little more public, but it's hard to find out some of those other moral failures that you did and no one else knows about. And, And you've got your failure. You've got the thing that has happened to you that you have done, and you look at it and you say, man, I wanted to serve God. I would never betray him. I would never deny him. I will do anything. I'll even take a sword and defend you in the Garden of Gethsemane, and I'll cut this guy's ear off. I'm with you 100%, and I wanted to be that way. And I blew it. I blew it. And he's never going to give me another chance. I'll never be able to fulfill my destiny. What was Peter's destiny? Jesus said, you're the rock, dude. He changed his name. You're the rock. You're going to be the one whose whose, uh, confession will be the foundation the church is built on. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You're going to be one of the key leaders in the early church. Peter, I have chosen you to carry the gospel to the Jewish people. Peter, you've got a destiny. I've given you a purpose. And yet, that night, in that courtyard, that man, with a tremendous destiny, made a mistake. And now, in chapter 21, He refuses to even tell Jesus how much he really loves him. Because when Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Jesus is using the word agape. Peter, do you love me more than anything else? These decide any do you love me more than anything? Peter couldn't say that. All he could say was, Lord, you know I like you. Phileo. That's the word he used, the word for brotherly love. Lord, I love you a lot. Jesus said, dude, I'm not asking you about that. I want to know, do you love me? And Peter said, I can't say that. Lord, don't you know I betrayed you? I can't say that I love you like that. You know why John 21 is in your Bible? Because John wanted you to know what God does with people just like you and just like me. Failures. What do you do with a failure? In the modern church, you kick them out. In the church I grew up in, you ostracize them. You vote them out. How did Jesus deal with failure? When Peter is there fishing that night, this is less than three weeks, maybe three weeks, from the time he saw the resurrected Jesus for the first time. And yet he could never bring himself to overcome. I failed. I wonder how many times he said that to himself. I blew it. I blew it. My destiny is gone. Now I'm going to have to go back to fishing. John puts this story at the end of his book to tell you that God, I'm going to say this the way I grew up saying it, God, don't throw nobody away. I don't care what you've done, where you've been. God doesn't throw you away. I'm speaking to somebody in here today who had a destiny and a purpose and you were moving in that direction and something happened. You had a failing. Something happened. And what happened then has started pushing you away from your destiny. That's what Peter did. Why in the world would the man who is called the rock get six of his buddies and go fishing when the resurrected Jesus had just appeared to them in Jerusalem? Because he couldn't bring himself to believe God could use somebody like him. And that's how some of you feel right now. You knew God's calling on your life. You knew God had a purpose for you. You knew what he was planning for you and you were walking in that direction and you were firm in that and all of a sudden you had a failure. And now, listen carefully, you are allowing your failure 
to push you away from your destiny. And God wanted you to know how he treats failures. He restores failures. Amen? Amen. He does. He does. And I'm glad he does. Because every one of us in this room could stand up and say, here's mine. Now I've been preaching. I've been in the ministry for 42, almost 43 years. So I've been around the block, okay? I know I look like I've been doing it longer, but <laughs> it's just tough being a minister. Man, 42 years can make you look like 60 years that you've been doing it. And I have discovered in talking to lots of people that there are about four areas where people place themselves having made a mistake that will disqualify them from what God wants to do in their lives. And I want to share those with you if I can. The first one is a failure in a ministry, a calling. Now, I've been called, I've been doing 42, 43 years, so I have a calling from God. That calling from God has sustained me through many, many ups and downs. But not all of the friends that I went to seminary with are still doing what I do today. A lot of the men that I went to school with have dropped out of the ministry. It was too hard. They made a mistake. Uh, they got voted out of a church, which is the old way of saying they got run off. And so they sit now thinking, God called me when I was 20 years old. He had a destiny for me. But when I was 35 years old, something happened. I failed, and now I have lost my destiny. Well, the only thing you've lost is your good common sense because God doesn't throw us away. And my God, you say, but now God can't use me. God can't do. Listen, don't ever tell God what he can't do. God's a, first service was a lot more animated right there, folks, because I want to tell you something. You need to get this. Don't you sit there and start telling me, well, preacher, I know the Bible says that if you're divorced, God can't use you. And I'm going to say, that's a bunch of baloney. <laughs> Who are you to say that God can't? I was praying last night or this morning in my office, and I said, now you pardon my French, but I said, now God, I was praying this. I said, God, please anoint me today. I said, God, you can speak through a jackass. Yeah. And God can. God used Balaam's donkey yeah. to speak. Yeah. Don't tell me what my God can't do. Don't tell me that your failure is bigger than the cross of Jesus Christ. Because I'm going to tell you, it is not. And Peter needed to hear Jesus say, feed my sheep. So there's a ministry failure, a moral failure. People say, well, I was immoral. I, I had an affair and, or whatever, the, and, and God can't use me anymore. Well, there are consequences to, to the sins we commit, obviously. It could have been that your moral failure caused you a divorce, and it could be that that divorce has put you outside of your family, and you, look, and you feel bad about that. But don't sit here today and elevate, listen to me, don't elevate your failure above the power of the cross. I'm serious. Don't you do that. Don't tell me that my God can't use someone who's been divorced. It's not God's best. Folks, I'm, I dated my, my wife four years. We got married, and we've been married 47 years. It's the best thing that God ever made. And if yours is that way, you can say amen. But if it's not, and this is your second or third or whatever it may be, God can still use you. Amen. Don't let the world, don't let the church bureaucracy, don't let anybody tell you that God can't use a vessel that is usable to God. Amen. I'm willing, God, use me. Okay, buddy, I'll use you. Don't elevate your excuse above the power of the cross, okay? That's what I want to say. That's what Peter is teaching us. There's a marriage failure, divorces, that's so common in the church today. And no, that's not God's best. No, it is not. But God can overcome any mistake that we make and still use us for his kingdom. And then there's the money failure. I just wasted it. 
And I know now that God's never going to bless me because I blew the one that he gave me before. I lost my business. I lost this. I lost that. And there's no way God can overcome that. Oh, yes, there is. It is called, and I'll spell it in case you're taking notes, and it's a big, long word, so I'll give it to you. I'll spell it for you. It's called G-R-A-C-E. Grace. I don't care what failure you put up here, G-R-A-C-E trumps any failure you may have. And that's why we have chapter 21. John chose three encounters with Jesus. And this one is teaching us what God does with a failure. Now, let me ask you a question. We got to hurry up and go. I mean, we don't, but I say that. Let me ask you a question. You're sitting here today, and there are some of you, and you'll, you're not, you're not going to be honest with me or anybody else, but deep down in your heart, you are using your failure as an excuse for not pursuing the potential that God had for you. You're letting your failure keep you back. And you do that. And so here's the question. How, does, how, how do you get reminded of your failure? Does God remind you of your failure? You say, well, of course he does, Pastor. Look at what he said to Peter as soon as he saw Peter on the seashore. You sorry, good for nothing. You denied me three times. Get out of here. Go get back in your boat. Is that what Jesus said? No, he did not. The enemy is the one that brings up your past. And when the enemy brings up your past, you respond by bringing up his future. Okay? What brings your failure to mind? Is it the smell of, of a particular perfume or cologne that brings back that moral failure? Is it the sight of something you say, that's it, God. That's it right there. You see, Peter, the last time that Peter had seen a charcoal fire was in the courtyard the night he betrayed Jesus. When he walks up to Jesus on the shore of Galilee in chapter 21, there's a charcoal fire there. And I wonder if Peter was reminded of his failure. He must have been because he said, Jesus, I can't love you like I thought I could because of what I did. What does it take to remind you of your failure? You should trust in the grace of God and know that your failure will never define who you are. Never, ever, ever in a million years is it going to define you. Now, I'm going to say something here, and I want you to listen before you get mad. I'm going to complete my statement before you get mad at me. I used to say throw hymn books at me, but we don't have hymn books in the seats in front of you now, so I don't know what you're going to throw, uh, but you can't throw a hymn book. They don't throw your cell phone because the Secret Service will arrest you for doing that, okay? So just don't throw cell phones. So here's what I want to say. God is not concerned with your past. As a matter of fact, at, listen, as a matter of fact, there is nothing he can do for your past other than what he's already done. You're not getting that. Yeah. Let me ask the people over here if you get it. God is not concerned with your past because he can't do anything about your past other than what he's already done. And what's he already done? Spell it for me. F-O-R. Forgiven your past. Have you ever thought about, and I don't want to use the word funny, but can you imagine if God had a sense of humor, and he does, but I mean, what, what would it be like for God to be up in heaven, and all of a sudden, there's the opportunity to get you back where you need to be, and, and fulfilling the, the purpose that he called you to have, and the destiny that he's ordained for you, and you're down here molly-grubbing around, that's an Alabama term, molly-grubbing around, <laughs> saying, oh God, I know where I need to be. I know where I've been called. I know what I should be doing. But God, don't you remember that immorality? And God's up there thinking, no, I don't. <laughs> I, I don't remember that. You keep reminding me of something that I have no memory of. Come on. You know that's true. You don't want to believe it, but you know it's true. 
You say, but no, I need to be punished for my sin. No, you don't. He already has been. Come on. He has forgiven you so when you fail and you know that you will, John said when we sin, we will. He has forgiven us so that we can get up and in his power keep on our purpose. When Jesus saw Peter, back then he was called Simon, he said to him, follow me. That's the first words he said, follow me. I've got a ministry. I've got something for you. Follow me. You know what the last thing Jesus said to him was in chapter 21? He said the last thing to him is the same as the first thing to him, which means, are you listening to me? It means that Jesus did not change his purpose for Peter based on Peter's failure. Now, come on, church. Don't sit here today. There is enough anointing. There is enough power. There is enough destiny sitting in the seats in this building today to blow this county wide open, but we're letting our past define our future. And you've got to stop doing that. Step out of the water. Come up onto the shore. Sit by Jesus on there and look at the meal that he's prepared for you. And he said, come and dine and then he said, Peter, I need to let you know how I deal with people like you. And I think Peter said, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen now? I love you. Fulfill your purpose. But Lord, you don't know what I did. Oh, yeah, uh, we got that covered. That's covered. God is more concerned with your future than he is your past because he can't do anything about your past that he hasn't already done. But with you getting up out of the dust, coming to him, he is the restoring Jesus. And your future can be what God intended it to be if you will simply do what Peter did here and allow Jesus to restore you. Are you willing to receive that today, church? Amen. Would you do that? I have three things I want to share with you, and then we go. These are the take this home with you things, okay? This is what you write down and, and look like you've been paying attention. Number one, we are not defined by our failures. Your failure does not define you. You are not divorced Joe or adulterer Sue. You are son and daughter of God. Your failure does not Define who you are. Got it? I'm giving you time to write it down. Number two, as I've already said, God is concerned with your future, not your failure. Write it down. Post it on Instagram and all that other stuff you do. Let your friends know that God is not concerned with their past. He's already dealt with that. That They need to come to him for their future. And number three. It's interesting that in all three of these situations, these meetings that we've had, y'all hang with me one more minute. In all three of these situations, who takes the first move? Jesus always does. He came to the room. He came to the room. He came to the Sea of Galilee. Jesus, and I'm going to say this in a simple way so maybe we can all get it. Jesus is waiting on you to get your, uh, how can I say this, your backside into motion because he wants you to fulfill his purpose for you. And he's waiting. He's here. He's here. It's not, well, one day when Jesus shows up. No, he's already here. No, one day when I know what I need. No, you already know what you need to do. He's waiting right now for you to put your failure where failures belong under the blood of Jesus and see it that way. And don't walk out of here today saying, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you ain't. You're a child of the Most High God. This is not weird theology. This is true. When we start seeing ourselves the way God sees us, it changes how we see ourselves 
and then we're able to fulfill the purpose God has for us. Never, ever, ever elevate your past above the cross of Christ to forgive that past. And I got to stop. Are you with me? Three meetings of Jesus. Meeting of salvation. The meeting that says you're not, you still have another chance. And the meeting that says, I know you've blown it, but I'm with you. Let's make it right. All right, let's bow our heads for a moment. If you need prayer today, we're going to ask you when we start singing to just make your way to, to the back. To behind you, there's an area back there. And we have a private place that prayer warriors will be able to pray with you and whatever needs you may have, they certainly want to pray with you about that. So don't think that uh, you have to come forward. Some people don't like to do that. That's fine. But we have a private room in the back that you can go in and be prayed for, uh, for with somebody. Or maybe you're here today and you've never made a commitment to Christ. You've never come to the place in your life where you said, Jesus, I realize that you're a, the Savior of my life and I ask you to forgive my sin and come into my heart right now. If you would like to do that right now, you can do it right here. You can have that first encounter with the resurrected Jesus like they did in the room that night, right where you sit, by simply saying, God, I've made a mess of my life and I'm believing that you died on the cross to clean up my mess and I'm giving you my life right now. Be the Lord and the God of my life. If you prayed that prayer and you've asked Jesus to come into your life, would you just slip your hand up real quick? Anyone in here this morning, anyone else, anyone, you prayed the prayer and you asked Jesus to come into your life this morning. All right? For the rest of us, my question is, how big is your excuse? Let's get over it. Let's get off the bench. Get in the game. You've been gifted. You've been anointed. And it's time for you to get over whatever it was that you did that you've allowed the enemy to hold you back with. Are you in agreement with me? Let's stand together. Father, we ask you now in Jesus' name that you let us know what it's like in our lives for your kingdom to come in all of the power, in all of the glory that comes with your kingdom. We want that in our lives today, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's sing as the worship team leads us.